0: These are the days of Elijah, we just sang. You remember who Elijah is, one of God's uh, prophets? Uh, Elijah was one of God's prophets in Israel in a period of time that was pretty bad in uh, Israel's history. There was a guy by the name of Ahab who was the king back then. And um, the Bible actually says uh, that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who came before him. Uh, The Bible goes on to say that Ahab... Uh, did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all who came before him. So this guy was a character. And on top of that, he married this woman named Jezebel who came from a family of Baal worshipers. And so Ahab led Israel into the worship of Baal. And, uh, you know, that uh, really uh, got God angry. And so God began to speak to a guy by the name of Elijah. Elijah was the spokesperson for God. And uh, his job was to turn the people back to God. In that day, and so you might remember that uh, there was this big showdown on Mount Carmel, where Elijah uh, faced 450 of these Baal priests and prophets, and uh, to call down fire on a sacrifice, and this kind of showdown happened on the top of Mount Carmel, and uh, and of course God uh, showed up. You can read about it in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and following. But I was thinking, you know, we here in the United States in the year 2015 had our own little drama this past week over Israel. Uh, Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, was here to address uh, our Congress uh, over the threat of Iran to uh, wipe Israel off the map. And, uh, you know, it created quite a divide, I think, between the rousing applause of Congress uh, over his comments and our president, who had a rather cooler uh, response to uh, Netanyahu's uh, presence and, and comments. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking again, you know, why is Israel so much in the uh, world news even still today? And uh, as we've been studying through the Old Testament, we've noticed that God's promised blessing uh, is to come through the nation of Israel and through the people of uh, Israel. And, uh, but Israel, the word actually means, you know, strives with God. And so the people have this long-standing history all the way back, you know, uh, from the beginning of the Old Testament of um, fighting and striving uh, with God, even to the point of rejecting God's Messiah uh, when he came, uh, you know, uh, through the nation of Israel a couple thousand years ago. And so God's promise to bless was given to Israel's greatest king, King David, as we have seen in the past. And uh, David was promised a kingdom that would never end right? In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, that promise in the Bible is called instruction for all mankind. It's a very interesting passage of scripture. That promise of uh, a, an everlasting uh, eternal kingdom made to King David is called instruction for all mankind. In other words, it's a charter for humanity. And uh, I think what it means is that you, we all do very well to pay attention. Uh, to what is being said there, and uh, to do our best to understand what that uh, means. Because after David and after his son Solomon, David's kingdom failed. David's kingdom divided in half. It was the northern ten tribes against Judah, and that included Benjamin, against the southern tribe. And uh, it became divided, and it, didn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't eternal in the sense of an earthly kingdom. And this didn't please God and eventually um, Israel and its people ended up in exile uh, with the Babylonians. And you remember um, how all of this uh, goes down. And uh, in the process of all of that God raises up people who are called prophets and they become spokespersons for God. And uh, like Elijah was a spokesperson for God in the days of Ahab when things were really bad. And uh, these prophets um, began to um, speak on God's behalf, calling for the people of Israel, pleading with them, warning them uh, to repent, to change, to stop moving away from God and to move toward him. And, um, you know, when you think about it, um, these are the days of Elijah here in America. Uh, Same kind of thing, people moving away uh, from God on, uh, on so many different fronts, Uh, And so it was with Israel. The people were stubborn. They were adamant. They were going after evil, resisting God. And so the prophets speak increasingly of judgment of this day that's coming when God is going to have to punish and judge in order to turn the hearts of the people back toward himself uh, because of the persistent sin. Uh, Judgment that the prophets speak about both immediate in the life of Israel, which we have history at this point in time to go back and just see how God... uh, you know, judged the people, and uh, to turn their hearts around, and also in terms of um, a long-term or uh, a permanent kind of judgment that's still future, uh, that's not just for Israel, but for all the nations of the world. And uh, when we read about these, when we read from these prophets about this coming judgment, uh, we realize that uh, always there's a provision for a day on the other side of the judgment where there's a new day, a new servant, a new promise, a new covenant, and uh, a new people of God. There's always a remnant of people. There's always a witness uh, of God's blessing as we've been talking about it. And so the prophets begin to call for repentance, uh, but the people refuse to listen and resist God's word and uh, end up in exile, missing out on the blessing uh, that God wants to give us. Uh, The um, earliest uh, writings, the earliest writing prophets um, uh, in the Old Testament are Obadiah and Joel. And uh, when we think about them and we go and read what they wrote, they're very short uh, uh, pieces of scripture, but both of them start talking about uh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is an old and New Testament kind of a technical term that refers to a judgment uh, by God against all the evil and wickedness uh, in the world. The day of the Lord begins to be unfolded as scripture unfolds and uh, it's a day of judgment, it's a day of reckoning, it's a day when God will uh, vindicate himself. And as the Bible sort of unfolds this, more and more specifics come to light. and. You know, sometimes when people ask the question, uh, why doesn't God do something about all the evil? Something will happen, somebody will, you know, offend somebody in some way, and uh, bad things will happen. People say, well, why does God just sit by and let this happen? Why doesn't God do something about the evil that's in the world? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. And the answer is, He will. But when He does, as you read the scriptures, it's going to be a day that's worse than the day of the flood when in Noah's day when God wiped out everything. Uh, it'll be a day that Jesus says is worse than any day that's ever come upon the face of the earth. And so this day of the Lord that's uh, coming and that's talked about is introduced to us. Uh, I think uh, 2 Peter chapter three, Peter sort of summarizes this and um, puts it like this in 2 Peter chapter three beginning at the fourth verse, Um, people will say, you know, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues the way it was from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through water by the word of God. And by that means the world then uh, that existed was deluged with water and perished. Talking about the flood of Noah's day. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord will come. It's yet future. And it's described in uh, graphic uh, ways uh, in the book of Revelation, Daniel and uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. And so the day of the Lord will be a day of judgment. It'll be universal. It'll be um, inescapable. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, um, he said, for there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be again. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, the days will be cut short. I think the days will be cut short by the rapture of the church. I think that's the same day that the day of the Lord begins as the day that the church is taken out. Because It's the wrath of God, it's the anger of God which Jesus took on the cross in our place. And so we are not going to be subject to that, what a gift uh, that's going to be. So the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And uh, when we talk about being saved, we're talking about being saved from the judgment of God that we all deserve. And when we um, talk about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We realize that uh, being saved is such a, a wonderful gift and that the nation of Israel is really an example uh, for all of us as we look at how God deals with his people. And so Obadiah and Joel, the first two prophets who mention this day of the Lord, uh, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, there's only 21 verses. It's a prophecy against Israel's neighbor, Edom, uh, Edom uh, for the way that Edom was treating Israel. Uh, Edom was located where Jordan, pretty much where Jordan is today. It was their neighbor to the east, uh, Israel's neighbor to the east. And uh, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. So in Obadiah, just a couple of verses here, in Obadiah and verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, or Israel, um, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day you stood aloof, on the day the strangers carried off Your brother's wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord, this is the first mention of the day of the Lord in the Bible. And uh, Obadiah says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And uh, this is the first mention of it. Uh, Again, the um, Edomites, the people from Edom, were descendants of Esau. You remember that um, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. And uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 25, I just wanted to uh, refresh your memory a little bit about this. Um, Because these twin brothers, uh, you know, there's two streams of people that come from these two brothers. And in uh, Genesis 25, verse 22, uh, um, the children struggled together within their mother, and she said, if it's like this, why is this happening to me? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, these are two nations in your womb, two different groups of people. And the two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And, uh, and then you go a little bit, you know, the kids are born, the two boys are born, they begin to grow up. Verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac, the father, loved Esau because he loved to eat his game, but Rebekah, the mother, loved Jacob. And uh, every time I read that verse, I think, this is the original odd couple. This is, um, you know, Felix and Oscar. This is the hunter, the rugged guy, and um, the sophisticated guy. Uh, But look what happens here, verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And therefore, his name was called Edom, because it means red. Uh, And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, well, you know, what the heck, I'm about to die, I'm starving to death, and of what use would a birthright be to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now, so he swore to him, and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way, thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau was the older of the two, technically. And Esau would have been the one who would inherit the promise that we've been tracing from Genesis all the way through Abraham, through Isaac, and now it came to Jacob, but Jacob pretty much deceived his brother to get it. And uh, But the, God had said that this is what's going to happen, that the uh, older would serve the younger. And this is exactly what happened. But my point in sharing this and bringing this to your attention is um, simply the fact that um, Esau and the Edomites, which are being judged by Obadiah and with this reference to the day of the Lord, uh, are people who found the stuff of this life more important than the blessing of God. The Edomites who descended from Esau uh, really became like the kingdom of man instead of the kingdom of God. And uh, I think there are many like the Edomites today. Uh, whose primary concern in life is all about the temporal, and give little attention to the blessing that God wants to give us of the eternal life that God promised to David, which is a charter for all mankind, instruction for all mankind, to grab hold of this blessing through the promise that God made to Abraham, lived out, fulfilled in Jesus, and offered to us today. But many people are so preoccupied, you know, with the stuff of this life, that they're ignoring and sidestepping uh, the birthright, the blessing uh, that God has, uh, that he's holding out and offering uh, to us. And uh, that's tragic. He didn't value the blessing of God, traded it, traded God's promise you know, for a meal and uh, thought uh, in terms of temporal life, this life, and it's exactly as God said would happen uh, while these two kids were still in the womb. And so um, when you think about it and you ask yourself, you know, am I in the line of Jacob and Israel? Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It means strives with God. Jacob fought with God himself. It's not that Jacob was a wonderful person, um, you know, if you read the whole story. Uh, But um, that's where the blessing came down through Jacob. But now Edom is being judged. The day of the Lord is going to come against Edom for the way that it's treating its brother, Israel. Um, And then there's the uh, other prophet, Joel. Uh, The prophet Joel is um, an explanation of why it is that Judah, the southern part of uh, the divided kingdom, uh, is experiencing um, a really hard time. Uh, There was uh, an invasion of locusts, uh, Joel chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, Hear this, you elders, and give ear all the inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing ever happened in your day or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children tell the next generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten, and so on and so forth. And so um, there was this judgment of God Um, of locusts that came and devoured the land. Uh, Verse 13, uh, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from, uh, from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to God. In chapter 2, at verses 12 and 13, uh, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to me with your heart. Repent. This is what the prophets were always bringing a message from God. It's not too late. Turn your hearts, right? Um, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and uh, rend your hearts, not your garments. Change on the inside, not the outside. Uh, you know, Rent your heart, rip your heart in half. Return to the Lord. He is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. But if not, back to chapter one, uh, verse fifteen. Alas, for the day of the alas for the day for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes, the day of the Lord is going to be a day of destruction. The day of the Lord is going to be a horrible day, you know, and um, God is holding back on it until uh, all people have an opportunity uh, to repent. Um, in chapter 2 and verse 30 and 31, um, this is a foreshadowing of this day of the Lord, and uh, you find these, almost these exact same words in Jesus' lips in Matthew, you find them in Revelation, And uh, here they first appear in Joel, I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Uh, this description of the day of the Lord and the warning that comes before it of the cosmic disturbances of the sun and the moon and the stars falling out and so forth. Revelation 6 uh, you know, talks directly about Jesus said the same thing. Um, and so through the scriptures, again, the day of the Lord is going to be A day of destruction. It's going to be a day of judgment. It's going to be a day when God vindicates himself. And it will be a day when I think uh, that description of all the peoples of the earth, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, It's going to be an awesome day, but it's going to be a difficult day. There are many allusions from the book of Joel in the New Testament. About half of its verses are quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Uh, And once you get to the middle of the book of Joel, the first half is all about repenting and calling for repentance and God's judgment. The second half is the people do repent and God does relent and God is merciful and God is graceful and God does promise a day. But there is a day coming in the future called the day of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord is spoken of by eight different prophets in the Old Testament. It's mentioned uh, 19 times and uh, Jesus warns us about it. Three three of the New Testament writers, Luke, Paul, and Peter, write about the day of the Lord, and John, in the book of Revelation, describes it. It's a future unprecedented judgment against evil and against falsehood, because there's a spiritual war that's going on for our souls. There's a war between God and Satan for the souls of the people that God created. And uh, it's plainly depicted, as we saw in the book of Job, uh, where there is this battle over Job's soul, It got started in the Garden of Eden with Satan deceiving our original parents. And this uh, spiritual reality is summarized, I think, by Jesus in John 10.10 when he says, look, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and that you might have it how? Abundantly. That the blessing of God that started in Genesis chapter 1 might be your reality to the point that that abundance spills out of you and influences the people around you and the blessing of God spreads to the people around us as we are able to uh, bring love and grace and truth into people's lives. And uh, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath is reserved for those who reject and who refuse Christ. And uh, there are two streams of humanity that come down Uh, through the uh, ages. God's people, the people of the blessing, the people who believe the promise that God made to Abraham and Satan's people, the people who refuse the blessing, who are deceived. And uh, you might say that the day of man started in the garden of Eden and will end when the Lord comes back. And the day of the Lord will begin when the Lord comes back. Uh, The day of man started in the garden and it's pretty much marked by the idea uh, that people have permission to do whatever they want. And at the climax of the day of man is something that uh, Jesus and uh, Daniel and other writers call the abomination of desolation, right? And it's when this Antichrist figure is empowered by Satan and thrones himself uh, in the temple in Israel and demands the worship of the world. And uh, that begins this horrible time uh, of tribulation. Um, Paul talks about it in uh, Thessalonians, and uh, I know this might sound technical to um, a number of people, but um, I just uh, wanted to read a couple of verses in second Thessalonians uh, chapter two. Paul writes to the church there in Thessalonica, and he says, "Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by either a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to have come from us." To the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let nobody deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. There's this talk of this, uh, the, the church falling away, the people of God falling away, rebelling, being like Israel, striving with God. Uh, And, you know, there are many people who think that maybe we're in that time already, that there is this falling away and this rebellion that comes first of the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And uh, when that lawless one is revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, uh, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. Refused the blessing of God. Refused to love the truth that God has revealed since the beginning of time. And... uh, so furthermore, the day of the Lord uh, will come as a total surprise to the world, right? The world will be saying peace and safety. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, Paul writes to the same church earlier, and he said, Concerning the times and the seasons, we have no need to, that anything be written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Then there's this verse, verse 4. But you are not in the dark, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. That day won't come like a thief for you. You'll be well aware, you'll be, you'll be able to see the signs that lead up to that. You're not in the dark, you're a believer. For the world, that day will come like a thief in the night. A total surprise. They'll be like, whoa, what's happening? Can you imagine the sun and the moon and the stars all being affected and the world's reaction to it? But Paul is very specific. But you, believer, you're not in the dark about this. You know, God has written about this. There's lots of, uh, uh, you know, way back, starting with Obadiah, he talked about the day of the Lord. And so all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, into the book of Revelation, uh, you're not going to be surprised by this. Uh, you are not in the dark, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night of the darkness. So then let us not sleep like other people do, but let's stay awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's the rapture of the church. God has not destined us to be the objects of his wrath. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He became the lightning rod for God's anger against us when he sacrificed himself in our place. And so as we look forward to the day of the Lord, it's a day that we're actually you know, pretty excited about and looking forward to. Uh, a day uh, that's not going to be wrath, but deliverance. Uh, a day that will be saved from the wrath of God in a very literal uh, way, and so when you go to revelation and you find out about this day of the Lord, you know there 's the seven uh trumpets and the seven angels and the seven bowls of judgment and it 's absolutely a horrible uh you know description of what that day is going to be like now, I know that you know some of this if you 're not familiar with all this, it probably sounds very technical and and uh it 's hard to put together with a timeline and so forth, but the bottom line is this that that Jesus is coming back right. The bottom line is that Jesus is coming back. When he came the first time, he came in love. When he came the first time, he came to love. When he comes back, he's coming in power. Love and power are opposite ideas. When you love somebody, you sacrifice for them. You give yourself for them. When you come in power, you dominate and you control. When Jesus comes back on the day of the Lord, he'll come in power. Uh, When he came the first time, he came as a lamb. The Bible says when he comes the second time, he's coming as a lion. When Jesus came the first time, he came in humility. When he comes back, the Bible says he's coming in glory. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. When he came the first time, he came riding on a donkey. When he comes back, the Bible says he's riding on a white stallion in triumph, right? Uh, When he came the first time, he came to die. When he comes back, he's coming to reign, right? He's coming to reign. When Jesus comes back, the day of the Lord begins, Satan will be defeated, righteousness will be restored like we sang, uh, our redemption will be consummated, God will be vindicated. These are the days of Elijah, right? So here's the question I'd like to leave with you today. Uh, in closing, uh, Peter I think uh, asks it the best in Second Peter uh, chapter three. And uh, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, meaning everything in the temporary world, what sort of people ought we to be? Since you know this, since you're not in the dark, since you're in the light, since you know what the future holds in store, what sort of people ought we to be? And uh, Peter then goes on and says, "Uh, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Holiness is the idea of being set apart for God. That's what, that's what it means. And it, it's primarily about actions and external things. Godliness is about internal things. It's about attitude. It's about uh, commitment uh, and love for, for God. Um, what sort of people ought we to be in holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? How do you hasten the coming of that day? By spreading the good news of God's blessing? to other people, because it's not until everybody is gathered in that that day will come. Um, Waiting for and hastening the day of the coming of our Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Often called the millennial period, the thousand year reign of Christ on this earth, uh, described again in Revelation. Well, you know, um, this is a true story Um, and it's been told many times, I suppose, but um, there was a young man who um, went down into the metro in Washington, D.C. in jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball hat and uh, leaned up against the wall and started to play his violin. He played his violin for 43 minutes and uh, 1,097 people passed by. Only seven people paused longer than 60 seconds To listen to the violin player. Only seven people uh, paused for more than 60 seconds to listen, and uh, only $32.17 was tossed into his uh, open violin case at his feet. Only one person recognized the man, and uh, it was all set up by the Washington Post who uh, filmed the whole thing. Three days before that morning, when he was down in the metro in Washington, Joshua Bell uh, filled Boston's Symphony Hall, commanding $1,000 a minute for his performance back in that day. Uh, When he played down in that uh, metro in the subway, he played a Stradivarius violin that was worth over $3 million. He played Bach, which is some of the best music possible, but hardly anybody noticed. And I would say to you that God has been singing his blessing to the world since it began. But like Esau, people are preoccupied with the petty and passing on the blessing. And someday, and maybe soon, God is going to vindicate himself with the day of the Lord. And it will be a great and an awesome and a terrible day all at the same time. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. These are the days of Elijah. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Bible and for your word and for the truth of it. And especially for prophetic truth. Uh, When we look back from our vantage point at this time and see the way that you fulfill every word that you've ever said. And how dependable you are and how trustworthy you are. And then we think about what you said about the future. I pray, Father, that your spirit would help us to understand the impact that that truth should have on our everyday living. And that as we, Heavenly Father, submit and surrender, and as we learn lessons from observing even Israel, which is constantly in our face, even in our day, that we, Heavenly Father, would surrender and that we would submit, and that you could have your way with us, and that your spirit, Father, would put your words in our mouth, and that we might speak into our world in such a way that the overflow of your blessing on our life would have an impact, Father, on the folks around us, in order that your name might be lifted up, honored, and glorified. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. Amen.